Well, good morning. <laughs> so chippy this morning, man. Tell you what, you got an extra hour of sleep. Come on, count your blessings. If you lived in our house, you would have woken up at four thirty. Where is she? I know she's in here. Ah, she's hiding. All right. <laughs> um, we are not, okay, it's not there. Good. We're not in Remain in Love, in case you saw that pop up there. Um, we are in a two-part series called uh, Scary Stories from the Bible uh, in honor of Halloween, because Halloween's always been a church holiday. It's not really, but um, anyway, uh, I got to introduce you to somebody that uh, you may or may not know uh, that is a strong member of Harvest Hill. I don't know what her name is, but I call her Annabelle. That'll keep you awake. Um, this is our, our friendly doll in Harvest Hill who likes to migrate around through the hallways into the offices and sit in places and corners. Uh, scares the Holy Spirit into me and... Um, <laughs> And Cindy as well, as she cleans the church, and I feel sorry for her because it's always in a different spot. Um, I could not find her this morning, which worried me because I knew where I put her. <laughs> but I did find her, um, and I swear I looked there before like church started, but she was um, in a certain spot, and uh, I found her so I could bring you joy with Annabelle. Um, this last week, it was uh, Monday, about 2.45 a.m., I uh, got a call from Darren, who was out of town, that the church alarm had gone off and uh, that the police were here, and so he asked if I could get over here and see what was going on, and so I got my car, came over, and there, sure enough, police were here, and uh, two officers. Uh, what happened was, I guess, the door did not fully latch at some point in time, got hit or something, and so the wind caught a hold of it during the night. But they had walked the premises um, because they found the door that was open, and so they came in, and they had their flashlights and going through and doing the normal thing, you know, Stratford police. And so they're walking the premises, and as I got here, they were, I let them in and turned off the alarm and uh, just started talking with them a little bit. And uh, one of the, the, the male officer that was here that night, he was, telling me what he, was, what he did, how he got in, where he went, where he looked, wanted me to make sure nothing was out of place and everything was here and it all was. And so as we were walking back through, he was telling me how loud the church alarm is back in the office area. Um, it's just, it's, it's deafening. And as they were doing their patrol walking through, they turned the corner and if you walk down the hallway and make that little jag and the very first uh, room is the office of Jason and, and Jackson if he wanted to use it, but he doesn't want to use it sometimes. And as they turned, he had his flashlight out and sweet Annabelle <laughs> nearly lost her life. <laughs> Annabelle was sitting in uh, Jason's chair <laughs> facing the door and he said he turned around and saw these beautiful beady eyes staring at him. And his flashlight hit it, and his gun came out. <laughs> and uh, what made it worse is the pastor's wife, I pray for her, she had stuck scissors in Annabelle's hands. <laughs> oh 
So Jason would have a nice wake-up call on Monday. Um, I told him he should have shot her, but, um, but he didn't. So Annabelle lives on, and she is still here. Um, but he had a scare, and that doll has scared me numerous times. I know that's kind of a, an ongoing prank going on, but um, scary stories. Uh, I don't know about you, but I like scary stories. There's something about that adrenaline that goes through you, makes your heart race, makes you get on alert. Um, I don't really care for some of the demonic type scary stories or movies, but I do like a good jump every now and then. And maybe you have a tradition this last week that you uh, took in as Halloween came, and you may have a tradition of watching a scary movie on Halloween night, and, and that's fine. I try to watch one of my favorites growing up or when I was in high school, and I started it, and I got about 20 minutes. I said, this is so stupid. And so I, my, one of my favorite scary movies was Ruined Forever and couldn't even finish it. But um, we're looking at two scary stories. Last week, we spent our time uh, looking at a story or what is known as a parable. Uh, Jesus frequently throughout his ministry told parables. Parables were, were stories of spiritual significance. They meant to shed light on something that was going on or something that was going to happen or what God does or what we should be doing or even sometimes how we may perceive things. And so one of the parables we looked at last week was the parable of the rich man and Lazarus found in the Gospel of Luke. And in that parable, we came to this understanding that when our life is over, there are only two places in which we will end up. We will either end up in heaven uh, with Abraham, with God, with Jesus, with all of God's people, or we will end up in a place of torment, of eternal fire that the Bible refers to as hell. That's it. There's no middle ground. There's no waiting room. Praise the Lord, because waiting rooms at doctor's offices are hell themselves, right? And so there's none of that. There's no such thing as purgatory. That's what I'm trying to get at, okay? It's heaven or hell. When this life is over, that's it. Um, Monday morning uh, at men's prayer breakfast, or prayer breakfast, prayer, uh, Richard Campbell came up to me after we spent time in prayer and we began talking out in the, in the parking lot. And he says, you know, Pastor, I think the first time I had something I wasn't too sure about and, and maybe even disagree with you. And I, I, I praise for those conversations because one, it lets me know people are listening. And two, it lets me know people want to make sure we are biblically accurate. And so I said, well, Richard, tell me what's going on. And so I can make sure if I did make a mistake, I can correct it or I can answer maybe any misunderstanding that was made. And so he said, well, you talk about the rich man and Lazarus, but you never mention this, the aspect of judgment and, and how people end up in one place or another. And I just kind of smiled at him and I feel bad. Be praying for Richard. He had an accident yesterday and is why he can't be here this morning. But because I told him that, well, you know, this Sunday we're going to talk about that. That's where we're going. Um, we're going to talk about the judgment and how people end up in one of the two places. Um, and so we are recording this. We're recording it, right? Back there, Doug? We are now. Okay, good. <laughs> um, but if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. To me, this is one of the scariest stories Jesus ever told, and I believe in the context of his listeners on that day, they would have been scared to death as well, even worse than Annabelle. Um, they, they would have been trembling because of what Jesus said, and it comes to a place of where we end up even, either in heaven or hell. It's the parable commonly known as the sheep and the goats. It's also the parable known as the final judgment. It begins in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew's in the New Testament 
And Jesus begins telling this parable beginning in verse 31. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to read along with us um, as it is uh, quite a long parable. But here we go. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Verse 35, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did you see a stranger? And when did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Verse 40, and the king will answer them. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then you also to say those on the left, depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't take me in. I was naked, and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you didn't take care of me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? Verse 45, then he will answer them, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you you've given us everything we need so that we may live a godly life. And I think you have given us your spirit to rebuke us and correct us and train us and prepare us for righteousness and godliness and the things you set before us. And I ask right now, Lord, you bless us. Bless us once again with your spirit to open up your scriptures to us that our hearts may be able to understand and that your word would penetrate to the deepest parts of us. It would go into our bone marrow, Lord. That you would open our ears, that we can hear you, our loving Heavenly Father, speaking to us. That you give us eyes to see the truth. You give us a mind that is focused on loving you in this moment. Father, I pray right now for myself that you just remove me from this equation. Father, that it would not be me, it would not be my Kirchen teaching you word, but it would be your spirit. So use me as an instrument of your righteousness. Be with us as your people and bless us once again with your voice and your presence and lead us into truth. Lord, lead us to a place where we know how this applies to our life and how it applies to the lives of people you've placed in our life. Father, I pray that you forgive us if we have failed you in worshiping you in spirit and truth. If we have not loved you and given you the glory that you rightfully deserve, for you are holy. We thank you that you know us. You know every individual in this room. You know exactly what we're bringing before you. You know exactly what we're struggling with, exactly what we're praising you about. Nothing is hidden from your side. So as we come into the presence of, of our King, of our Father, Lord, speak to us as your children and guide us to where you need us to be. And pray so in your Son's name. Amen. 
So I want us to walk through this parable real quick and to understand what is going on and what Jesus is saying. Um, so keep your scriptures open. Um, a lot of times, if you haven't been here before, I'll jump to other passages today. You don't need to worry about this morning. We're going to stick right here in Matthew chapter 25. To begin to understand the context of what is going on, uh, Matthew 24 is where this dialogue begins. And in Matthew 24 and the end of Matthew 23, the disciples, for some reason, this is near the end of Jesus' ministry, um, they were in Jerusalem, and disciples, for some reason, decide that this would be an opportune time to tell Jesus to take a look at all the beautiful architecture that is in Jerusalem. And when they say that, Jesus makes this comment that I tell you that I will knock down these buildings and in three days I will rebuild them. Uh, and, and it kind of threw them off because you're talking about the temple in Jerusalem and, and what was uh, symbolic of the presence of God and the blessings of God. And so they asked a, a, a set of questions at the beginning of Matthew 24. Um, and, and they ask, uh, beginning in verse 3, tell us when these things will happen, when this destruction will happen, and what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so there's three different questions uh, which leads Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 to be misinterpreted quite often because Jesus is answering three different questions. And the final question deals with the end of the age, which is what we call the day of judgment. And that is the parable in which he's dealing with this time. And so Jesus begins by first saying, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. And the Son of Man was a title used of Jesus numerous times throughout Scripture and in the Gospels to speak of him being born in the flesh, that he came as a form of a servant, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived in, in the face of trials and temptations. And yet in the end, Jesus overcame. He came to serve us. And the ultimate service that Jesus gave to us was living a life that we could not live so he could die a death we could not die and pay a price we could not pay. Jesus died on the cross and Jesus preparing his disciples for that time that this is what is going to happen when all things have come to fulfillment and I am going to return in all of my glory. And if you notice there in verse 31, it says the Son of Man, so even though he comes as a servant and it's a phrase of him being a servant and completely obedient to God, he says now he is going to come in all of his glory and all the angels with him and then he will sit on his glorious throne. And what an image Jesus is giving us as, as he comes back where once he was argued and debated with on, who is, on his authority and who he was, it is going to be completely evident when this day comes that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the one, if you look in verse 34, who is the king. And he is going to sit on his throne. And what Jesus is saying here is a very important message that we have to grasp and many of us understand. Because if you read through the Bible, who is normally depicted as sitting on the throne? God. That's right. And so now Jesus says the Son of Man is going to come in all his glory and then he will sit on his glorious throne. And what the statement is saying is Jesus is telling his disciples when the end is, is here, when the day of judgment has come, you are fully going to realize my equality with God. That I came as a Son of Man as a servant, but when the last day comes, I will come in all authority and all power and all splendor of heaven will be with me and you will be in awe of this. And everyone will be gathered before me. 
It is also a statement that Jesus is saying, when I come on my throne, there is going to be no debate about who is in charge. There's going to be no debate about who is in control because I am going to be sitting on the throne. Jesus is saying that God and I are one and we are going to be working together. In the context of Jesus' listeners, they would have understood the role of a king. See, in the day of a king and, and Jesus dealt with an emperor or Caesar, People would bring their disputes to the king or to the people, politicians and and people that the king had placed around them. And they would bring their disputes or their claims or their charges. You know, so-and-so did this to me. And the, the king would bring the case and make the decision. What Jesus is saying here, when the end of days comes, when the day of judgment comes, every name, every tongue, every nation is going to bow and come before me, and I'm going to be the king, and I'm going to bring the case to a close, but there is not going to be any debate. There is not going to be any but, but. There is not going to be uh, uh, none of that, because once you are in my presence and I'm on my throne and all heaven is with me, this is it. The matter has been set. There is no chance for a do-over. There's no chance for a rewind. It's done. And as he sits on his throne, he begins to separate the people into two categories. And so we saw in the rich man of Lazarus, there are two places people end up, heaven and hell. And before they get to those two places, there are two categories that God is going to separate people into, and that is the sheep and the goats. And as the son of man, the king sits on his throne, he acts like the shepherd or the good shepherd. And he is the one that is going to make the distinction on which party we are in. So right now you are my sheep. Right now you are my goats. Shouldn't have put scissors in Annabelle's hand, I guess. And this separation is going to happen People are not going to be able to argue. People are not going to be able to plead their case. God is going to set the matter. He's going to part them like the Red Sea. And he's going to put the sheep on his right, which is a declaration of their righteousness. And he's going to put the goats on his left, which is a declaration of their unrighteousness, their wickedness. And as they departed, he begins to make the decree or the judgment. If you look in verse 35, he says, you are on my right because when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And he goes on, I was thirsty when I was a stranger, when I was naked, when I was sick, when I was in prison. And if you notice when the judgment comes, it is the same judgment on the right and on the left. See, God does not play favorites. God does not have certain standards for certain people. It's going to be the same judgment. So you did it and you didn't. So what are we going to be judged by? We're going to be judged by our action or our inactions in this life. In another reading of this parable, Jesus separates them. And when he tells those on his left to go away or to depart, he says, the reason you're going is because I never knew you. And the implication is you never knew me either. And so we can read this and we can, we can say, okay, it's about action and or inaction. And so what is God trying to tell us? Is our salvation based upon works? The answer to that question is no. Is our salvation based upon works? No. But when I read this, They're doing works. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They're naked. They're in prison. They're sick. And and people are responding. So we got to figure this out. How is this judgment going to come? Because when we get there, 
all that's going to happen is those on the right are going to be in awe. And they're going to be wondering, when did we do this? And those on the left are going to be confused and be wondering, when did we have the chance to do this? Salvation is not based upon works, at least our works. The Bible says that very clearly. It is by grace alone. It is by faith in Jesus Christ and His works that He did, that He lived a perfect life, an obedient life to God. He fulfilled the law and the prophets of the Old Testament. He did everything perfectly the way God wanted Him to do. He was everything that God wanted you and me to be, that we were created to be. And Jesus, in being that perfect representation of God, went to a cross so that God's wrath... Now, when you think of wrath, parents, think of those times you're just like, mmm. I mean, maybe Homer Simpson and Bart Simpson. I mean, just full wrath, anger coming upon. This is what the wrath of God is. Is God poured out His anger, His judgment, His wrath upon His perfect Son on the cross. So when Jesus said it is finished, he's saying that all of God's wrath has been poured out upon me. I have finished the work and the purpose which God has put me here to do. And now I am dying in place of every single individual on this planet who is separated from God by their sin. The beauty of the gospel is when they when he died, they placed him in a tomb, but he came out. That is the saving work of salvation. It is nothing we have done or ever could do to receive it. It is a gift. It is because God loves you. God loves me. He is for us, not against us. And he wants us to be his children. He wants us to be in heaven, to be in eternal glory with him. So if it's not works, then what is the implication? The implication is this. If I am saved, if you are saved, which I'm saved, I'm I'm sure of my salvation. I don't always get it right, but I know I'm saved. My salvation should then produce works. So I don't work to earn salvation, but once I'm saved, my salvation should produce works out of my life. This is what the Bible refers to as bearing fruit according to your kind. In other words, when we turn back to this parable and Jesus takes the one on his right, the ones who are dignified, the one who are given a place of honor. That's what right being on the right means. And Jesus says, you did all of these things. Notice what the ones on the right, the sheep say. They don't say, well, yeah, duh, we had to. The church had those ministries going on. If we didn't do it, you know, they'd make us feel bad. They didn't say, well, yeah, duh, you know, they were there. What did they say? When did we do that? And here's the revelation. When God gets a hold of our heart, when we become saved, God gives us the Spirit and dwells inside of us, and it changes us. It gives us a new heart. It makes us into a new creation. And so all this stuff that we do, as we talked about in Bible study this morning, all this stuff isn't for men's applause, but now it is simply a natural reaction to our salvation. It is a response. Why do I get involved in ministry? Because I know God loves me and I want other people to know that God loves them. Why does the worship team do this every single Sunday and get here early and practice? It's not so they can stand on stage and we can all look at them. 
It's because, I I hope it's because God loves them and they want you to know God loves you. And they want you to be able to lift God up in praise. Why do we do Fofties and and, and, and shoebox ministries and Wednesday Night Lies and VBS and Wednesdays at the Park or any other ministry? It's not so we can say, look what Harvest Hill is doing. It's so we can say, look what God has done and we place him on display. It's for his glory. And so therefore, everything we do at Harvest Hill and everything we do as an individual is not to prove our salvation, but is in response to our salvation. And it should become a natural reaction to our life. So when we stand before the king one day and he says, you did all this stuff, we're like, when did I do that? Because we're simply living in response to the love of the Father. And if you have the Spirit dwelling inside of you, there's this yearning and this desire to be a part of the mission that God has given every one of His people to represent Him in this world. It's been the same mission plan from the Old Testament to the New Testament. God wants the world and the peoples of this world, the nations, to look upon His people. Old Testament, it was the Israelites and the Jewish people. New Testament is those who have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. He wants the nations to look upon us and know that we belong to God and He is the one true God. And how are they to do that? Because they see the fruit coming out of our life, not to prove our wealth or prove ourselves or our salvation, but simply in response to what Jesus Christ has done for us, that He has given us the ultimate service. We're saved. But then you turn to the goats. Because Jesus gives them this decree and then he turns his attention to the goats. He doesn't say, you know, this is what's going to happen. He turns himself to the goats and sorry, you're my goats today. And he says, you know what? Get out of my presence. Leave. And it's the same judgment. When I was sick, when I was in prison, when I was hungry, when I was thirsty, when I was naked... You didn't do anything. See, what happens is when we become saved, God gives us eyes to see. He opens the eyes of the blind. But if we're still in our sin, we are blind. And all we can think about is ourselves. It's about me. It's about my family. It's about what I want. But when I'm saved, I know there's a bigger picture. Because someday all this stuff that I want, all this stuff that it was about me, all that stuff's not going to matter. Nobody's going to know those things. When they look at my tombstone, there's a little dash. But there will be people that will know if I've made an impact on them for eternity. There will be people who know that I've loved them when they needed to be loved, when I took care of them, when no one else would take care of them. Jesus says, when you do these things to the least of me, guess who you're actually doing it for? Me, not my curtain, him. And so Jesus, God gives us a commission that we have to look beyond ourselves, but the goats, the goats are so blinded by sin and sin makes us become selfish that we become blind to the opportunities God placed in front of us. And the sad thing is, they don't argue. They don't say, but God... It's not fair. Because once sentence is dropped on the day of judgment, it's final. 
And so God welcomes His sheep who know Him by name and He knows them by, na- by name and they know His voice. He welcomes them in verse 48 into eternal life and the goats into eternal punishment. And there's a lot of issues that people have with the doctrine of hell. And when it comes to doctrine of hell, one of the main issues is how can you say God is a loving God and yet He will send people to hell? How can He be loving and do that? And a lot of people have that issue. Maybe you're here this morning and that's an issue you have or someone in your life has. So we really need to unwrap this because yes, God brings down the final judgment. Yes, God says this is where you are welcome and this is where you must depart to. But the ultimate reality is God does not make that final call. It is the choices we have made in this life that lead to that decision. What it means is I cannot live like a child of the devil or raise hell on earth and expect heaven for eternity. So by the choices I make in this life, I am setting myself up to where I will spend eternity. And the reality is a lot of people who have that issue with God and how can it be a loving God and send people to hell, the issue is more this idea of God who is in control. And and as I thought about that this week, I began thinking about those people that, that are going to end up in hell. And remember last week, the rich man, his desire that nobody would join him in hell. The people that do not want God in their life, Call them whatever title you want. They don't want God to be Lord of their life, to be the master of their life, to be the shepherd of their life, to guide and lead. And the people who don't want God in their life, and so they want nothing to do with Christianity or the church. If you can say beauty, the beauty of hell is that God has given his last act of love to them. Even though hell is a place of torment where the fire consumes and never burns completely up, How much would a person enjoy eternity with a God that they wanted nothing to do with in their entire life? Think about that for a second. You and I, if we get to make it to 60, 70, 80, awesome. But in the scope of eternity, just a glimpse. Just just a, a slither. And so if I live my entire life here on this earth and I want nothing to do with God, then the greatest punishment God can give me is force me to be with Him for eternity. And so God, simply in the end, gives these goats what they've wanted their entire life. A life without Him. The sad part about it is once they come to that realization, this is where they're going, they also come to the realization they want no one else to join them. So when we come today in this place, it's not about us working our salvation, but responding to our salvation. And the question we all have to ask if we are saved is do people see Jesus in us? Do people see Jesus coming out of us, living out of us, doing ministries out of us, taking care of the people? You look at Jesus' life, and who did he mostly spend time with? He spent time with the outcasts. He spent time with the lepers and the sick and the lame and the blind. He spent time with the people no one else wanted to be around. Matter of fact, the majority of people he called to be his disciples were people who were cast out of society. And so Jesus gives us the commission that we are to love people, love our neighbors. And that's not to love people who are like us 
or agree with us all the time or make life choices that we agree with. It's simply to love them, to meet them where they are, to take care of their needs. Because when we do that, we're not ministering just to them. We're ministering to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the only way we can do that is if we put ourselves aside and allow Jesus to live through us. My question is, do people see Jesus in you? Do people experience Jesus in you? Do people hear Jesus coming out of you? Do people feel the love of Jesus when you're in their presence? Because when it comes down to it, the Bible's pretty clear. Our judgment is going to be how we take care of the people that God has placed around our life. Are we being Jesus to them? Are we responding to the cross that we sang about before we begin opening God's Word? That's a challenge for me. I think that's a challenge for all of us. And as we look at these ministries, we have to come with that mindset because there are times... If you've been involved in Wednesday Night Live, there are times on Wednesday nights. I, I don't know if it's gone on this year yet, but there's times on Wednesday nights you're just kind of like, ah! I got a classroom with Annabelle's, you know? And you wonder if anything's even coming of it, if anything's even being done. So we've got to stay focused on task. I'm not doing this for me, I'm doing this for Jesus. The ultimate goal is for eternity. These kids would know Jesus. Same with youth, man. I've been in youth, and it is aggravating. We love on these students, and we support these students financially and physically and through our prayers because we want them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. Because without Jesus, you, you guys are lost. The same with our kids. Without Jesus, you're lost. This is why we reach out to our community with Fofty. We don't do this so we can say, look what we did last Thanksgiving or look what we did at Christmas. We do this because I pray that you start praying that God reveal a need that we can minister. We want to be Jesus to people in need, to take them food, to take them drinks, to take them things that they need so they can feel the love of Christ coming out of Harvest Hill. This is why we sugared up kids at Trunk or Treat. This is why we're going to do a Thanksgiving service. This is why we're doing Operation Christmas Child. It's all so that Jesus can come out of us. And sometimes, Harvest Hill, this is going to get uncomfortable. It's going to make us stretch. It's going to make us step out in faith and to trust God that if He's leading us here, He's going to take care of us to do this. So we've got to stay focused. But if you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, then here's the reality. When this life is over, it's over. You don't get to replay or redo or rewind. That's it. And nowhere in Scripture are you guaranteed you even get tomorrow. This may be your last day. And the Bible says, and it says because God loves us. He wants us to know the truth. The Bible says that if I have not accepted Jesus Christ's sacrifice for my sins, if I have not asked forgiveness and, and placed my faith in Jesus, He died on the cross for my sins and He rose again that I could be forgiven. If I have not done that, then I am lost. And even though I may sit in the presence of the king right now, if this is my last day on earth, I'm going to be on the wrong side of eternity. But that's not God's will for your life. God's will is that all people would come to a saving knowledge of him and truth. And so he's brought you here this morning to change your eternal destination.
that if you've yet to accept Christ, even if you don't understand it all, even if you don't have it all figured out, even if you think your life is a complete mess, there's no way you can accept this gift. Let me tell you, you are wrong. And that is a lie Satan is trying to give you. Because hell has been reserved, if you look back in Matthew 25, for Satan and his angels or the demons. It was never intended for God's people. But that's where Satan wants you because he wants you to torment. But if you're here this morning and you're like, Pastor Mike, I know I've yet to do that. I know I've yet to make a personal confession of faith. I know I've yet to ask Jesus for forgiveness and ask him to be in my life. And let this be the day of your salvation. We're going to sing a song of invitation. I'm going to stand right here and I'm going to ask you to not worry about what people think if you know that's something you need to take care of. Just step out and come on down. I want to pray with you and celebrate with you. Jackson's going to come on up and let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for these stories that are meant to grab our attention, to make us on high alert spiritually, to make sure that we are doing a life that is holy and pleasing to you. Father, your command, as we saw earlier this morning, is that we be perfect, that we continue in maturity and being what you've created us to be. So Lord, let that be our heartbeat here at Harvest Hill, that we are reaching out into this community, that we are loving on them so that they can know your love for them. Forgive us those times we get stressed out and worried and wondering if anything's even coming of it. Thank you that your word does not come back void. And I pray right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, that all walls would break down for the individuals who are here this morning that are lost and are in sin. Lord, that you would give them the courage, that you would just make them move by the power of your spirit, that they would come before you and repent and they would come before you and ask you for forgiveness and ask you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. Lord, that you would change their eternal destination today in November of 2017. Thank you. It's not about anything we've done. Lord, you have paid it all. We come this time to worship you. Ask your forgiveness those times we haven't been living that out in our lives. Lord, also we pray for those who are here that need you in their life and don't have it yet. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us the truth, even though sometimes it's hard to hear. Forgive us where we have failed you. Praise in your son's name. Amen. Let's stand aside.